0: We just thank you that you are great, Lord. Thank you for how much you love us, Lord Jesus, that while we were yet sinners, you came and died for us, Lord. Lord God, you came and you brought us new life, Lord, that mm. by your death we are forgiven, and by your life we have new life, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, for all these mm. things, and just pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you teach us from your word. Mm-hmm. You be glorified today in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. We could say amen and go home, huh? So it's either first weekend of hunting season. It's an early Bronco game. There's some kind of a triathlon. Or the word's out. I'm preaching. I'm not sure which. Welcome. It's good to see you. You know how long it's been since I've been able to open the word? It's been since before the tornado. It's been all summer long. And uh, if anybody wants a real picture of plurality it's been this summer between Dean and Danny and Chris I actually skipped two rotations just so I can focus on just things other things other than preaching that need to be focused on and if I were the lone guy like many churches have it wouldn't be pretty yeah, I think I'd be major league stress so uh, praise God and thank you Dino and Chris and Danny in New Zealand by the way I talked to Danny the other day and they're doing well we're doing well. I think we need to start some kind of a a pool, though, to see you know bet in which month they come back. I think mean, they really miss you guys. They miss Colorado. They miss Windsor Community Church. They're committed to make it through the school year, but I'll be surprised if they make it past then. You know, this last couple of weeks have been pretty interesting, haven't they? With what's going on in the economy and what we hear about in the news, and with the presidential debate. And some of you know, most of you may not know that my background is is that I was in the brokerage business, I was a financial consultant for 20 years with a, a major brokerage firm. I'll take a tornado any day over what's been going on in the last couple of weeks. But it, just, it really just drives me to a place, really this last couple of weeks, uh, in some healthy places and some unhealthy places. The unhealthy parts where it's taken me is, is just a memory of some of my own failures over the last few years. Some of my own financial failures. At one point, I was on top of the world from a worldly standpoint, financially. The house that I lived in, you know, kind of the classic uh, 2.5 kids, three-car garage, and a membership at the country club. And we were living that dream even though we really felt like we could leave it or take it. We could take it or leave it. But when God decided to take it, it was okay, but had to deal with a lot of, of, uh, of who I am in Christ. What I figured out is I saw myself as Dan, the successful stockbroker. Dan, the husband of Nancy, the father of Natalie, Mitch, and Joey. And what God wanted to do in my life is He wanted to do something. He wanted to refine me so that I knew who I am in Him. And that the only thing that matters is, is that I am His child, that He has redeemed me. He has ransomed me. We're going to talk a little bit today. We're going to examine the scriptures that remind us of who Christ is who we are as believers, how he sees us and what he's done for us, and how to respond to that. And I'm so excited about 1 Peter. Did you have fun with that? It is such a great book. And we were debating whether to go to an Old Testament book or to go to a New Testament book. What we're getting is a lot of Old Testament. I mean, Peter is just like none of the other Writers of the New Testament He is just going back to the Old Testament Like every other word And I'm very excited about it Let's pray Father we just thank you for your word We thank you that it is living and active And sharper than any two-edged sword We thank you that you have uh, ransomed us We thank you that uh, you will come back To get us In the meantime you've left A wonderful deposit Of the Holy Spirit as a promised return. And that we have actually got God in us that gives us uh, the power to overcome trials, that gives us the ability to think upon what's right, that gives us joy and hope. And God, I just pray that you would edit this message. God, I so desire for them to get your pure, unadulterated word. And I pray, Lord, if there's things that I haven't thought about or you haven't put on my heart, I just pray you'd do that this morning. God, if there's things where I am just in the way, I just pray that you'd move me out of the way. And I pray, God, that we would leave here just desiring, like never before, to proclaim your excellencies. And God's people said, Amen. If you'd open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 8. And I want to read the first three verses along with that. And it starts out in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men... But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they obey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And Peter starts out in verse 4, As you come to Him. As you come to Him. And that is a sense of drawing near to Christ. An intimate, abiding, personal fellowship. For Peter, the word implied the movement of the entire inner person into the experience of intimacy with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For Peter, it wasn't enough just knowing about God. He wanted to be deep with God. If you remember Peter, Peter was a protector of Christ. Peter's a little bit like a bull in a china closet. But I believe Peter had a real soft side. Peter really wanted to know Jesus in a very intimate way. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And he goes on to say, As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone. Peter calls Jesus a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. This is a picture of a stone or rock. It actually means a building stone or a cornerstone. And Peter actually refers to Jesus as a cornerstone in verse 6 and 7. And a cornerstone, for those of you that have built, I'm not a builder, but it, it is the very foundation, it's the corner of which the walls go out and up. That makes the whole building straight. If the cornerstone is not solid, if it's not straight, if it's not firmly placed, the whole building is going to be a mess. And it's not going to last very long. So Christ is the cornerstone. Deuteronomy 32 says, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all of his ways are just. Isaiah 28 It says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. You see, the church, the spiritual house, is not going to be solid without a solid cornerstone, without a solid foundation. And Christ is that solid and costly foundation. And He is a costly cornerstone because He laid down His life for us. He shed His blood for us. It's not merely a stone, but a living stone. Jesus Christ himself, who lives forever, having risen from the dead. He's living and desires an active, intimate relationship. He doesn't just want us to know about him. He wants us to draw near to him. James 4.8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Rejected by men, even though unbelievers have rejected Christ, he is chosen and precious in the sight of God. I've lived 51 years. Thank you. I was expecting that. Ooze and ahs, please. And I spent 20 years in the financial services business. And I went through the market crash of 87. Desert storm in 90, 91. Something happened in 94. I don't remember. but It was bad. And then in 2001, which finally kind of drove me out of that business. And God says to not worry about tomorrow. Why? Tomorrow is enough worries of its own, enough problems of its own. And God is firmly on His throne. And He never promised us that there wouldn't be troubles. In fact, He said just the opposite. There will be troubles. But He is right there. And He is wanting from us in trials, whether it be personal trials, national trials, or worldwide trials, to draw near to Him. And He will draw near to us. And I think, I'm going to probably give some Advertisements, testimonies about what's going on in the economy as we go through. Not that I know, but just some perspective. So we'll just, we'll just leave that for now. Verse five. You yourselves like living stones. And I'm sorry, Jeff and Aaron. When I was, I, this this morning when I was going through this, I just kept saying living stones, living stones. I just made me pray for you guys. That's Jeff and Aaron Livingstone. So you yourselves like living stones like Christ, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Christ is the living stone. Peter calls us living stones as well because we are united with Christ and we are part of the spiritual house, which is the church, which he is the cornerstone of. And we're not just part of this local church called the Windsor Community Church, but we are part of the universal body of Christ. Resurrection has given us a real example of what the universal body of Christ looks like in meeting us and giving us this facility with no strings attached. And sometimes in Christendom, particularly from a pastor standpoint, not so much now as maybe a few years back, but there's just a weird sense of almost competition. You know, I don't know where that comes from you know we're 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 stealing sheep from each other and, and people are hopping from one church to the next and it shouldn't be that way we are all living stones in the same spiritual house with Christ being the foundation of that peter calls us a holy priesthood i love that i've always wanted to be a priest but i also want to be married and some of us grew up in a religion Where we had priests and the only way to God, the only way to confess our sins to God was to go through the priest. The only way to get to the word was to go through the priest. In the Old Testament, only the high priest could actually go into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could come before God. Anyone who presumptuously crossed over into the priestly function without meeting the requirements and qualifications of the priesthood would suffer severe judgment. We saw that a number of times where guys were just evaporated because they went to the Holy of Holies or they touched the tabernacle when they weren't qualified. In the Old Testament period, God's people had a priesthood, but today, guess what? God's people are the priesthood. Would you look to somebody next to you and say, Hi, priest. Priest. Now, Peter takes it a step further. Not just priest, but holy priest. Priest means set apart, consecrated. That, that he wants us to maintain a separation from this world. To me, it's one of the most confusing concepts on the planet as far as our charge to make disciples. And being stewards of the gospel. But holy means separated. God has separated, set us apart from the world. However, we are not to be isolated from the world. The world needs our influence. It needs our, our witness. But we must not permit the world to infect us or change us. We do Christian education in our house. Some of you do homeschool. And we have done it, we got two more years and we're going to finish up on it. We love it. One of the dangers with separating ourselves from the world is that we don't have influence. We don't have the ability to be salt and light. Okay? I've got a platform to speak this because I am one. I am a Christian. So those of you that are going, how dare he judge me? Remember, I've got Christian education going. Okay? It's a great thing but we are continually trying to integrate our kids and our family into the world so we're not totally separate from the world. James 1:26-27 says this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress. What he's saying there is get out into the world and serve. But then he finishes saying and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And that's a prayer for my kids. I want them to have relationships in the world, but I don't want them to be stained. And some of you know what I'm, t- I'm talking about. We've got stains from our childhood, don't we? We've got stains from, from our high school and college time frame. Spiritual sacrifices. No man in Israel could serve at the altar or enter the tabernacle or, or temple holy places except those born of the tribe of Levi and that were set apart to God for service. The primary function of Old Testament priests were to make sacrifices. They ministered at the tabernacle. These sacrifices were to meet God's requirements. They were animals that were perfect. They were unblemished. But when Christ inaugurated the New Covenant, animal sacrifices were no longer necessary. Praise the Lord. However, New Testament priests have a corresponding responsibility. Peter says here that we're to offer spiritual sacrifices. Even though we have access, unrestricted access to God's presence, we still have the serious responsibility to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All such offerings must be pure acts of sacrifice deriving from pure motives. There are seven spiritual sacrifices that I want to talk about this morning. And one is a bodily sacrifice. Our bodies in Romans 12:1 it says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. It goes on to say, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. We can offer our bodies as a sacrifice to the Lord. One of the ways of doing that is just spending time in the Word. Another way, guys, is, is uh, protecting our eyes. Honoring the Lord with our eyes. Another way is by taking care of our bodies. Be careful what we put in. Exercise. Those can be spiritual sacrifices. They can also be a snare, if not done for the right reasons. Second spiritual sacrifice, praise or worship. Hebrews 13 says, Through him then, let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name. Offering praise to God is more than just lip service. It's more than just saying, praise God, praise God, praise God. It more completely entails gratefully declaring God's attributes and His works in all situations, good and bad. It's hard sometimes to praise the Lord when things aren't going well. Can you praise the Lord if your candidate doesn't get an office? Can we praise the Lord if we have a complete financial meltdown in this country? Can you praise the Lord if you get laid off or if your spouse isn't treating you the way that you'd like to be treated? Can you praise the Lord for a wayward child? Psalm 86 says he is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. When we give praise and worship to the Lord, it is telling him who he is, declaring his greatness. He is upright, my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Great in his steadfast love and faithfulness, and his faithfulness endures forever. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. You ever driven west lately, just seeing the beautiful mountains? Looking up from the business of your day, for me turning the sports talk off, and just seeing God's majesty, and just praising him while you're driving. You have drawn me up. You've healed me. You've restored me to life. You've hid your face. You've kept our soul among the living. You've not let our feet slip. You've listened to my prayers. You've not removed your steadfast love from me. Praising Him in good times and in bad. The third spiritual sacrifice is our good works. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. We're not saved by good works, are we? But we're saved unto good works. Next, our possessions, our things, our money. We can offer spiritual sacrifice by holding loosely to those things. Fifth is our converts, people that come to Christ. I love what Paul says here in Romans 15, but I have written very, very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, minister as a priest, the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul saw that the souls that, that God enabled him to touch with the gospel were, were a sacrifice to God. Sixth, our love. Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. Love demonstrated in unselfish humility toward one another is well-pleasing to God. Last is our prayers. The last spiritual sacrifice is our prayers. The New Testament portrays prayers as suitable spiritual sacrifices. Now, I want to give a caution for those of you that that may struggle with some of the things that I struggle with, and that's Works. I know very clearly that I'm saved by grace and not by works. But so often, I'm trying to measure up and earn God's love and His favor through good works. Sinclair Ferguson writes, Our greatest temptation and mistake is to try to smuggle character into God's work of grace. We can easily confuse spiritual sacrifice and obedience with earning God's love. That's the mistake of legalistic plate spinners. Doing, doing, doing. God calls us to serve. Right now, this is a busy time in this church, isn't it? And I thank you for many of you that are involved, like up to here. I would just, just caution you be careful, spend time with the Lord. Don't crash. C.J. Mulhaney calls them legalistic plate spinners. He says in our self-righteous pride, we allow our performance of spiritual duties to become our preoccupation. And in doing so, we unwittingly walk away from the main thing. And the main thing is the gospel. The main thing is the gospel. And the gospel is to be preached not to just those that have not heard it or have not received it but I don't know about you but I need to hear the gospel every day I need to remember what the Lord saved me from and what he saved me to and that is not a work of mine at all our true love for God will be manifest in our spiritual sacrifice but we need to remember that the ultimate sacrifice paid was the shed blood of Jesus that covered all of our sins once and for all Can you say that with me? once and for all say it again once and for all He has shed His blood And covered all of our sins One time For everybody Hebrews seven twenty six to 28 Says for it was fitting That we should have such a high priest Holy Innocent Undefiled Separated from sinners And exalted above the heavens Who does not need daily Like those high priests To offer up sacrifices First for His own sins And then for the sins of people Because He did Once for all, when he offered up himself. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also died for sins, what? Once for all. Hebrews 10.10, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. Folks, it's done. It is done. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Verse 6, he goes on to say, For it stands in Scripture... I love this. Peter's getting ready to quote Scripture. And guess what? He's not giving us a chapter and verse where it's at. But it is true and it's 100% God's Word. He says, For it stands in Scripture, it says in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. That's Isaiah 28, 16. So the honor is for you who believe. For those who sincerely believe in Christ as Lord and Savior, there will be no condemnation. And instead, we will be ever secure in Him. That's what he's saying here. We will not be put to shame. We will have honor. There's no condemnation. We are eternally secure, brothers and sisters. Ephesians 1 says, Having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You are sealed permanently. It doesn't matter what happens between now and glory. It doesn't matter what you do. If you are His, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you are eternally sealed. Verse seven, he goes on to talk about those who do not believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. A stone of stumbling was any stone that people could trip over as they walked along the road. And a rock of offense was a rock that could crush them as they fell against and tripped over the other stone. In Peter's symbolism, the Jews threw away the true cornerstone. They wound up falling over it and finally crushed in judgment in the same rock. Make no mistake, people that have yet to bend their knee... God's not going to have mercy on them. Luke 20, 17 says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. God himself has appointed everlasting destruction on all those who deny and reject the truth. But be careful here, folks. God does not actively destined people to unbelief, but he does appoint judgment on every unbeliever. you see the difference he does not appoint destruction he does not actively destined people to unbelief but he does appoint judgment to every believer First Timothy 2 says first of all that I urge that the entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires who? He desires all men. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. The doctrine of election is a It's a beautiful doctrine. It's the most important doctrine we've got. And he has selected each of you that are believers from the beginning of time to be with him in eternity. Yet folks, he does not desire anybody to perish. Doesn't desire a soul to perish. And he goes on to say, but you believers are a chosen race. You are a chosen race. Because of sin and unbelief, Israel forfeited her great privilege of being God's unique people. But what was a tragedy for Israel became a blessing for believing Gentiles and Jews alike. Israel will not enjoy again the privilege of being God's holy people until the nation finally turns to the Messiah. God did not choose you based on our merit. We've already talked about that. He chose us because He loves us. I don't know why he chose me, other than he just loves me. He loves you. Isaiah 46.10 says, Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. This doctrine is the most humbling of all in Scripture, and it should drive us to thankfulness And spiritual sacrifice. The doctrine of election. He has chosen you and me. Peter calls us a royal priesthood. He had referred to us as a holy priesthood. Now a royal priesthood. What a concept that we are not only priests. With unlimited access to the throne of grace. But Peter calls us royalty. That we will reign someday with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're a holy nation. We're a set-apart people. Exodus 19 says, You shall be to me a holy nation. We are a people for His own possession. The Greek term possession literally means to purchase, to acquire at a price. And boy, have we been bought for a price. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to our flesh. We were slaves to demons. Christ went to the slave market and bought us, you and me, who are completely unworthy. He went to the slave market and purchased us. We did not seek righteousness, no, he called us to himself. He redeemed us through his blood, it was a tremendous price and sacrifice. We are no longer slaves of sin, but slaves of God, because we were purchased, we are his possession skipping down to the last part of verse 9 you who were called out of darkness into a marvelous light once again we did nothing we were blind but now we see John 3 says and this is judgment that the light is come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed verse 10 once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, once you had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. I love Romans 9:15. It says, "I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion." It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. So what's to be our response, brothers and sisters? We're priests. We're set apart. We're His possession. He's laid down His life for us. We've done nothing to earn it. What is to be our response to these great truths? And in verse 9, towards the end of verse 9, Peter says that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him. There is no higher privilege than to be a herald for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why He's left us here on this earth. Come and see the good works of God, who is awesome in his deeds toward the sons of men. God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and I still declare thy wondrous deeds. Psalm 73, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Why? That I may tell of all thy works. Psalm 119, I will also speak of thy testimonies before kings, and shall not be ashamed. Acts 4, 17 and 18, Peter and John are before the leaders, and the leaders, they had just healed somebody, and the leaders are telling them to stop healing, stop talking about Jesus. And this is their response, at risk of death. But in order that it may not be spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to any man at this time. This was the leader saying this to Peter and John. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. What was their response? For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. Brothers and sisters, there is a time coming. Maybe in our generation or another generation where there's going to be persecution like we've never seen before. There's going to be persecution. We have a soft, easy, Christian life in America. That's what God's Word says. And there's going to be a time where either us or our kids or their kids are going to have to boldly proclaim the gospel. And maybe at the risk of being killed. Are we there? Are we there? Sometimes I can't risk boldness for fear that somebody won't sit next to me at the coffee shop. Much less risking my life. But Jesus shed his blood for me. He's forgiven me of all my sin. And how I so desperately want this church to continue to grow in boldly proclaiming the gospel everywhere we go. And it is happening. I know many of you are boldly proclaiming the gospel in your workplace, in your neighborhoods. It says in Psalm 145.4, One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. Let's proclaim His excellencies. Let's be a beacon on the hill. Let's also rest in who we are, and that we don't need to perform. And some of you are going, yeah, I get it. In fact, I've got it for a long time. What's wrong with you, Hardy? There's others of you that are right with me. That we just We've spent so many years trying to please parents, Trying to please our pastors. Trying to please our bosses. That we try to work before God to earn His favor. And I want to please the Lord. Absolutely. I want to do it in response to His love for me. Not to earn His love. Because I can't. Let's pray. Worship team, come on up. Lord Jesus, I worship You and praise You. Lord, how I desire to just proclaim Your excellencies. In every conversation I have With believers and unbelievers alike You are excellent Thank you That we have a great high priest That can sympathize with our weaknesses I thank you Jesus That you came to this earth And walked a sinless life And willingly laid your life down To give us a bridge to the Father We thank You that You have chosen us from before the beginning of time to be Your chosen people. We thank You that You have called us unto service. And that in this service, You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. And Lord, I just pray that as we praise You in song, Lord that you would just fill us with joy that you'd fill us with joy that comes from the knowledge of knowing that you delight in us that you hear our prayers that you desire for not any to perish and God I just at the risk of rambling I just want to lift up families that are here this morning that have teenage and adult kids that are wayward that are prodigal that have yet to bend their knee to You. And God, I just pray, Lord, I just pray that You would turn their hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Lord, I pray that You would bring somebody or something into their life to just illustrate to them like never before that there's no hope outside of bending their knee to the risen God. And I pray for these moms and dads of these children. I pray that You'd give them hope I pray, God, that they would not despair. That they would just know like never before that you came to seek and to save that was lost. And you don't want to see anybody perish. We love you, Lord Jesus.